I just thought while uh, Brett was doing that song that uh, I've got a 37-year-old song too, a 37-year-old wedding song. Y'all want to hear it? Uh, okay. I didn't get enough response. We're not going to do it. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. <coughs> we'll do it some other time maybe. Maybe next week. Who knows? I'll, I'll see what kind of email response I get or whatever. All right, um, this week uh, we're looking at the opposite of what we looked at a few weeks ago. And a few weeks ago, what is a wife to do uh, in the marriage relationship? This morning I want us to look. I, I told the guys, I said, don't think you'll be off the hook. Uh, and this week is the week for the guys. What's a, wife, a husband to do this week? We've already done what's a wife to do. Next week, how to say it all with love. We're going to talk about communication in marriage um, after that, uh, the gifts of the body in marriage. So it's kind of a marriage series as we continue to go through Ephesians. After that, it becomes a, a parenting series. I'm not good on marketing. I know people who've gone from, from this church to other churches saying, well, i got to go over there because i got this series. It's a marriage series. I'm thinking, why not just trust that your preacher is going to give you the Word of God? You don't have to have marketing. You don't have to have a series that catches you and brings you in. Um, but if, if you need that kind of thing, I'm throwing it out. That's all the marketing I do, okay? We've got marriage series going on. Invite everybody in the world. Marriage series. After that, parenting series, okay? Cool. All right. Think about headship. We don't like to hear about it today. I want you to think about headship. I want you to think the man is the head of the wife. I want you to think about leadership in the home. That's in Ephesians. I'm going to read it in just a minute. But before I get to Ephesians, before I get to 1 Peter, let's start in Genesis 2, verse 24, because this is where it started. Genesis 2, verse 24. God says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. So this is the beginning of marriage. God has just created Eve, brings Eve to Adam, puts them together. Adam goes, whoa, wow, this is cool, finally. You know, he's seen all these animals. Now he sees a woman, and he's just, he's in love. Love at first sight. And God says, for this reason now, a man shall leave his father and mother. Wait a minute. We don't, those are new terms, Genesis 2. There is no mother. There is no father. Adam and Eve are the first beings. And neither are a husband, I mean a mother or a father yet. They don't have parents. So what God is doing is introducing a concept for us here. And that concept is when a man takes a wife, at that moment, if it hadn't already happened, at that moment he leaves his father and mother, is what God is saying. And he establishes a new family unit. He becomes the head, his wife becomes his wife, Together they form this new marriage, this new family unit. See, up until that point, fifth commandment, you're to honor your father and mother. You still have that honor, respect for them. But at this point, you step out, and now the man becomes the one whose honor, we'll see in a minute, 
that becomes important as you honor the wife as well. But there's a new family unit that will come, mother and father, that will be honored. And this new family no longer has the old head. Who was the old head? It was dad. Now there's a new headship, a new unit that needs a leader. And God appoints the man to be that leader. That leader is head of the household by appointment. Not by what he has done or will do, but because that's God's design. And that's what we're getting in Genesis 2, is God's design. I'm creating order out of nothing. There's not even two families yet, but I'm creating for you order and structure. Now, let's look at Ephesians and 1 Peter. Let me read 1 Peter first. It's the easiest. 1 Peter chapter 3, we had six verses for women, verses 1 through 6, and now we got one verse for the men, verse 7. It's because they just can't handle as much, okay? But no, it's packed. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I want to unpack that because it's just easy, it's succinct. But there are three things, I think, primary big things that are being talked about here, and that is a relational headship that I'm going to read here in just a minute in Ephesians, but it's here. There's this uh, whole concept of men having understanding, living with their wives in an understanding way, a knowledgeable life. And then there's this, this honor, honoring the wife that he's talking about. Now, turn back to Ephesians. I want you to see those three things there. Ephesians chapter 5, much longer passage. But because of its length, sometimes it's hard to, to get essentially what's going on. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we looked at that two weeks ago. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. So there's that headship. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it uh, that she respects her husband. So we've got here a husband's role and responsibility as head. The husband is the head, verse 23, of the wife, 
as that head. He is to love her, love her, love her, love her, it mentions uh, over and over, as Christ does the church. Christ is the head of the church and uses that whole analogy. Brings up the two Genesis 2 passage. This is God's design and order um, in creating a marriage. Brings up this whole idea of honoring her and cherishing her and sanctifying her that we have in 1 Peter. And it's clearly we have the whole concept of the husband's got to have knowledge. Got to understand um, who he's ministering to to be able to minister. So I want us to think about those three things that maybe are very succinctly given to you in Peter. So I'm going to stay with the Peter text, 1 Peter 3, 7, because it's easy. But I'm going to constantly be reminding you of the Ephesians text and of God's design. Um, let's go back to 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. Now think about that whole concept. Live with your wives. Husbands, when you um, get married, you declare on your wedding day that your intent is to live with this woman. You're declaring selfishness just went out the door. I'm not taking her just to serve me. I'm taking her to live with her. I'm willing to deny myself. Christ gave up his life for her. I'm willing to give up my life for her. My goal here is to to live with her. It's a relational provision. I think we've gotten it all mixed up when we try to make the husband's job a material provision. See the difference between material provision and relational provision. We call the husband the provider. So well, you're supposed to provide things. I want you to see there's an emphasis on providing a relationship, not things. It's okay if you provide things, but that's not the emphasis of the text. The emphasis of the text is provide a living, a relationship with her. That's going to involve honoring her and cherishing her and laying down your life for her. There's there's nothing in this text so much about providing material things for her. So I want you to begin to see what does it really mean to have a relational provision that you're supplying. And give some reasons for that. Because she is a woman. She's a woman. And she's a weaker vessel. Interesting language. Even as Brett sang that song, we say there's stuff in our culture that, that hates the language now. Hates the woman language. She's a woman. Oh, hey, don't put me down. It's not a put down. She's a, the weaker vessel, the weaker one. Again, not a put down. And it's because we haven't understood the context. I've already made it clear. We haven't understood the context in a relational provision over a material provision. We're getting, getting most of this wrong. What does it mean for her to be the weaker vessel, the woman? The woman really means literally the wifely one. What does this mean? She's weaker in what regard? Well, I don't think you can, there's anything in the context that says she's weaker intellectually. As a matter of fact, she might be stronger intellectually because the, the man is the one who's, who's told it's your responsibility to understand, meaning you probably are a little weak up here and you need the 
admonition to understand. She didn't have that admonition. So there's nothing in the context that says the woman's weaker intellectually. There's obviously nothing in the context that says she's weaker morally. As a matter of fact, just prior, she's talking about how Sarah obeyed Abraham and describes her as a very holy person. There's nothing in the context that indicates the woman's weaker morally or spiritually. She's not weaker intellectually. There's nothing in the context that she's weaker physically. We always want to point that out and say, well, just her size is smaller. She's weaker physically. There's nothing in the context that would show that. As a matter of fact, I think the context might even go the other way. Because you remember when we talked about women, they were, they were to adorn themselves outwardly, physically. They could put on an attraction that is winsome to men. So physically, she, she might, you could make an argument that physically she's stronger there too. That she's got this physical attraction that can bring a man to his knees. There's nothing in the context that says she's weaker physically, morally, or intellectually. Um, so that's not what it's about. What, what's in the context that tells us what weaker vessel is about? What's the womanly one? Well, the context in Peter, as well as in Ephesians, and I pointed this out early on, I want you to see the big picture I haven't pointed it out in Peter. You go all the way back to, uh, it starts in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as the one in authority or to governors. Okay, here we have this order again. They're kings in authority. That king has authority over you. So be submissive to that authority. Or governors. Governors have authority over you. Be submissive to that. It's this authoritative one, submissive one. Um, And he keeps illustrating that. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Okay, so the masters have the authority over. The servants are under. Chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way. You see, it hasn't gone anywhere. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands. Why? He has the authority over. He was made head. You be under. Uh, the, you're the woman. You're the weaker vessel. Weaker in what way? In position. You're the one under authority. You're not weaker intellectually, morally, spiritually, physically. You could be, but that's not the point. The point is you're the wifely one. And from Genesis 2, I made man the head of the family. Now, you go back into Ephesians 2, and you see the exact, the exact same, I said 2, but it's, it's Genesis, um, excuse me, Ephesians 5, combining my passages. Um, Ephesians 5, you, you have the exact same context. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 21, be subject to one another, and then he illustrates it three ways. Verse 22, be su- wives, be subject to your husbands. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, obedient to your masters. So you have the same context of authority and people under authority. In Ephesians, you have wives under the husband's authorities, children under the parents' authorities, um, servants under your boss's authority. In Peter, you have us all under the governing authorities, along with the wives and the children 
and the masters. So there's four categories that are brought up in both passages that talk about God has structured life with authority and those under authority. And the one under authority in the home, in the marriage relationship, is the woman. So men, live with your wives as that womanly one. See, in other words, she's not the right one to be taking the initiative because she's under your authority. Men, it's your responsibility to take the initiative to provide a relationship, to live with her. It's, it's the man's responsibility to determine we're going to have devotions. We're going to read the Word. We're going to have communication. We're going to have a date. It's my responsibility to live with you. Not to just sit back and say, let's see what she wants to do. All of that respect should be there on seeing what she wants to do, but the husband is responsible to take charge and to, to live with his wife and not to, to think, well, I provided her everything she needs. What's, what's up? Now, I gave her a house. I gave her a car. Remember back when it was a big thing to give her a dishwasher? You know, and I would have husbands come to me for counseling and say, I don't understand why is she complaining? I've given her everything she, she needs. And I'm pulling my hair out and screaming. I said, you haven't given her anything yet. You gave material provision. Don't you see? She is not so weak that she can't provide all of those things herself. The Scripture does not command you to provide the things. The Scripture commands you to provide a relationship. And living with her as her head, as her leader, as the one who's taking initiative in bringing her back to God and structuring your marriage the way God designed it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And we've got this world where men think, well, I gave her things, and that's enough. That's not what it's asking us to do. It's asking us to provide a living with them because that's the way this functional authority works. Someone has to take the lead in this. Um, and um, so many marriages are missing it. I want you to, as you think about taking the lead in a relationship, let's go back to Ephesians and see the leadership of Christ one more time. Verse, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Think about how Christ entered into a relationship with us. This is not prosperity gospel where he came and provided us a dishwasher and a Cadillac. Christ came and provided life. And life more abundantly. And husbands, you've got to get that through your head and heart. That's, that's what I'm supposed to provide. A life with my wife, not just things. Verse 25, verse 28 of Ephesians 5, husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Um, verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you is to love 
his own wife, even as himself. You have this strong emphasis to being a loving leader. Love, love, love. Um, so I want to break that down even further. What does it mean for a husband to be a loving leader? And I, I've, I've, I've given you four things, because men need lots of help, right? I, I count myself in that category. We've got to learn to, so the four things for your outline, learn to serve her, learn to share with her, learn to sanctify her, and learn to shower her with love. This is all in this, this, this kind of loving leadership that Christ provides. First of all, live to serve her. If you are a good head, if you're a good leader, Good leaders know best leadership is by a servant, servant leadership. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Christ, our head, our leader, says my job is to serve. And to what degree did he serve? I'll, I'll lay down my life my bride. That's the kind of service Christ provided. That's the kind of service husbands are to provide their wives. Christ washed the disciples' feet. There was no task. I mean, the disciples said, whoa, 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 that's, that, that's just wrong. You're our head. You're our, our master. You're our Lord. You shouldn't be doing that. And he basically says, hush up, sit down. I'm doing it. I'm the leader and the leader gets to choose service. And I choose to serve you. To wash your feet. To sacrifice. To give up my life for you. That's the kind of leadership Christ provided. And that's what the scriptures say. And as husbands, we must provide our wives. We live to serve. What can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? That's a husband's assignment. To live in loving leader service, just like Christ. Um, second, live to share with her. You never get a picture of Christ going through the Gospels. You never get a picture of Christ kissing his disciples quickly and running off to do his work. Do you? You get this picture of Christ, though I know there's times where Christ went to the mountain alone to pray. So he had his alone time, sure. But you get this picture of Christ always being with, hanging out with his bride, the church, his disciples. After all, his name's Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So he, he spends his days sharing with his bride. He's, he's not only an expert in touch, he's an expert in talk talks with them. They talk with him. Um, he's good at communication. I want to spend time next week on communication in marriage for us to think about this even further. But Christ was good, good with that. He, he shared with her. He was with us. He rejoiced over his, and he still rejoices over us today. Um, intimate communicator. So we need to love our wives by serving them. We need to love our wives by sharing with them having that time where it's just communication. Third, love our wives 
by sanctifying her. You can't get away from that. Ephesians 5, 26, let me read it again. It's like, okay, I know that verse is there, but I just don't know what to do with it. No, you do know what to do with it. We need to get it. Ephesians 5, 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Christ didn't just serve. Christ didn't just share. He sanctified. And he still sanctifies. He, his, he, he saw his, his purpose, his goal to cleanse. He said, I want to present her without spot or blemish. I want her to be a growing vessel that's, that's growing in holiness and righteousness. And so how am I going to get her to that place or maintain her in that place? It's through the Word. There's just absolutely no way, husbands, we can escape the fact that we, as husbands, must be experts at the Bible. We must know the Word because our job is to sanctify our wives with the Word. I'll give you a really complicated passage. We don't know what to do with it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to answer the questions that arise when I share this. There's passages of Scripture I don't like sharing because I don't like the controversy. Here's one. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35 says, 1 Corinthians 14, 35, If they, speaking of women if, or wives, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, you, you and I, maybe, we don't know what to do with that passage. We don't even want to talk about what is the, the official biblical position of a woman's role in the church. Okay? That's the controversy. Just push it off. Regardless of what you think about that controversy, one thing is very clear in the passage that we do need to talk about, and that is a wife understands she has a husband who is supposed to know the Bible. And she's supposed to go to that man and ask him, what do you think? And he's supposed to sanctify her with the Word. That's his job. What does that mean? I mean, I have husbands, when I tell them that, your job is to, to, to do this. I, I'm the dumb one. Uh-uh. I don't know how to preach and teach. Didn't say you had to preach and teach. Said you had to sanctify with the Word. And, man, we, we got the technology today. You can Google it. You don't have to know it all. She brings you the subject. You can figure it out. But your job is to get into the Word. You can't do this. You can't live with your wives in an understanding way. You can't sanctify them unless you're reading your Bibles yourselves. Unless you're getting into it, because this is your tool. If you don't know how to use your own tool, I mean, you obviously can't do the job. So you've got to be reading. You've got to be praying. So suppose you can't preach and teach. There's preachers and teachers here. So you've got to learn to use church. 
You've got to learn to be all in, 100% in the body of Christ all the time because you need the body of Christ to preach and teach. You need the body of Christ to use all of their gifts because your job is to sanctify, and you can't sanctify if you don't get the Word and the sacraments into your life. So skipping out on church, it's just, uh-uh. The husband says, no, we must be there. I mean, our whole world has been messed up my entire life in the sense that we have a stereotype in America that if you're in church, it's because mama made me. Mama told me to. You know, I'll do it because it's Mother's Day. I'll do it because it's her birthday. That's the American stereotype, right? But if we had it right, we would be in church because daddy said so. Because daddy is fulfilling his role to sanctify his household. You heard the command given to Abraham earlier in the service. I chose him to command his entire household to follow the ways of the Lord. So it's the husband who's been shirking this responsibility. And women are smart and intelligent. They have stepped into it. No problem there. But men, we've got to step up to the plate. Our job is to create a living with our wives, with our household, that involves us serving them, that involves us sharing with them, that involves us sanctifying them. And we can't do that by playing church or playing with Scripture. We're only getting around to it when they encourage us. We have to take initiative as leaders, as the heads of our homes. That's what's going on in Ephesians 5 and here in 1 Peter 3. The Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, I mean, should be a no-brainer for, for husbands to say, no, we will keep that because I can't do my job without it. I have to be all in on my tools, at least, to get it done. Well, fourth thing, live to shower her with love. We're to sanctify her. We're to, to love her, love her, love her, even as you would your own body. The more I think about that, it's just, you know, I would never neglect my own body unless I'm planning on dying. You see, you just don't neglect her. You're always loving her. You're showering her constantly with love and you do that to the point of death she becomes your priority um, to love let me show another quick passage deuteronomy chapter um, 24 verse 5 it says when a man takes a new wife i don't know what happened to the old one but anyway when a man takes a new wife he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Now, why do I bring that principle up? Because the principle is that the wife, as soon as he took the wife, she became top priority. She became higher priority than work, higher priority than army, than warfare. 
what could be higher than that? The enemy's coming. We need to fight, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. he just got married. He needs to go take care of his wife. That's an extremely high priority. We've got men today say, well, I got to work. I got to work. And I said, no, 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 you don't. You've got to love your wife. She became your priority when you took her as your wife. We've got to, that's the kind of love Christ said, I will lay down my life for her. That's, you know, that's what God's talking about. A love that greatly uh, sacrifices for her. Well, if you get those things, the next, next part's easy, okay? 1 Peter 3, verse 7. So we, that's just living with her. That's relational life. Second, you're supposed to live with her in an understanding way. Uh, you're one that's supposed to have knowledge of your wife. This will have a fair proof your marriage. Because there's no one that should know your wife better than you. And the word know in the biblical language always meant a very intimate relationship. You're supposed to have that intimate knowledge of your wife. And you're to live with her and understand what, uh, you understand what her needs are, right? You understand who she is, right? You understand where this is going, right? You're supposed to, to know her and live with her. Um, you know, I talked about a few weeks ago, what if I, um, you know, had a private interview with your wives? Would, would, would they tell me how good you're doing? Or I guess it was with husbands, how good you're doing at being submissive. I said, they'll know, your husbands will know immediately if you're a submissive wife. It's a no-brainer. Well, it works on the other side, too. Men, your wives know like that whether or not you know them. Whether or not you understand what their needs are. And whether or not you're addressing those needs. So I could, I could, I could have with your wives that very same conversation. Does your husband know what you need this week? They'll be able to answer it like this. This is not going to be a hard question for them. Do you really know her needs? Now, if you don't know her needs, let me tell you an easy way to find out. Take her on a date night real quick and ask her to write down. Write down for me your seven top needs. I want to have knowledge. I want to blow this out of the water. I don't want anybody else to come along and, and they know you better than me. So write them down. And wives, if your husband doesn't do that and you know he doesn't know your needs, go ahead and write the list and just give it to him. Help him. Let him become knowledgeable of what your needs are. The way I always wanted to, to know, is I, I want to know that if I do one of these seven things, my wife's going to say, he loves me. Because he did that. I want to know I'm hitting a home run. I want to know at times... I'm, I'm doing it right. You know, what's, what's her needs list? You say, I know you love me when I see you reading your Bible. Is that on her list? I know you love me when you call me during the day with no agenda. Is that on her list? I know you love me when you bring me flowers because you don't bring anybody flowers. I know you love me when you ask to pray with me. What's on her list? You need to know these things. And every woman's list is different. And every woman's list changes. 
I hate pagan ignorance. I hate seeing a TV show or hear something where a man gives a woman flowers or gives them this or gives them that, and she throws it back in his face, and he walks away, and he says, ah, women just can't understand it. I hate that because that's, that's, a, that's a crock. You can know them. Just ask them. They are not hard. They are not difficult. They know how to communicate. They can give it to you. Just ask them. It is just wrong for us to be walking around in ignorance. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Know what her needs are and seek to meet them. Uh, and if, if she won't tell you, say, well, if you really love me, you'd know yourself. Okay. If she won't tell you, James 1 says, verse one, chapter 1, verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask. Just seek it from God. God's word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God will direct you. If you do, by chance, have a wife that refuses to talk, you can still know her needs because our God, who knows it all, will reveal it to you. Just again, get in the Word and seek God's wisdom. Third thing, honorable conduct. It says, not only live with her in an understanding way as a weaker vessel as a woman, but show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor. Obviously, we're both vessels, husband and wife. And this vessel is to be lifted up and honored because she's a fellow heir of life. We're equal in, in inheritance. If your daddy dies and gives $6 million to the two kids, one's a male, one's a female, they both get $3 million. I mean, that's the kind of honor it's talking about here. You, you both inherit. You, you both have equal footing in Christ. I'm not asking you to, to honor her um, any differently than that, but show her honor as a, as a fellow grace. Give her that exalted position as a fellow heir. Uh, you see the Proverbs 31 woman that Brett was singing about. The kids and the husband all rise up and praise her. It's honor. They exalt her. They speak. How, how do you honor somebody? You can do it with your words. You can do it with your gifts. You can do it with your actions. This is one of the things I'm still messing up. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I apologize last week. I apologize to my wife again. Sorry. Uh, it's so easy to, for me. I don't know why it's part of my DNA that I'm trying desperately to fix. It's, it's easy to just say a little negative word about my wife sometimes. That's not honor. That's not respect. She gets it immediately. I need to get it before I do it. So that I just stop. Do you ever not show that respect, that honor, in the way, what you say, what you give, what you do, what you remember? Husbands, honor her. She's a fellow heir. And then catch this last part. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Boy, that's crucial to your spiritual growth. Get that principle. God says, before I'm honoring you with everything you ask, 
You have to honor her. You see that principle? I learned it early with, with taking care of my dogs and cats. You know, typical kid. Daddy, mommy, can I have a dog? 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 No, you can't have a dog. Yeah, come on, please, let me have a dog. Let me have a dog. Let me have a dog, you know? You go through that until finally they say, okay, if, if you have a dog, you have to promise to feed it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. But parents are sitting there like, yeah, right. It'll happen the first week, and then the parent knows they're going to have to start feeding the pet. My parents took it one step further, and they said, okay, you promised to feed the dog. You promised to feed the cat. I promise, I promise, I promise. Okay, here's the rule. If you don't feed your pets, we won't feed you. How's that sound? I said, sure, no problem. Because I was intent on keeping my promise. Well, you got the dog, the cat. I don't remember which came first. And I, but I still remember coming to the table one evening. Everything just got quiet. Like, what, what happened? Why are y'all so quiet? And they looked at me like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm, I'm here to eat. They said, no, you're not. Oh, really? What do you mean, I'm not? You didn't feed Fufu, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I, oh, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that right after supper. No, you won't. You won't eat. What? Are you serious? Yes. If you don't honor your pet with food, we will not honor you with food. If you won't learn to put that pet ahead of yourself, lay down your life, and do it right. We won't do it with you. Is that not the principle God's given us? Husbands, get this. It's the same principle in the Lord's Prayer. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Lord, Father, forgive us our sins just as we, what? Forgive others also. It's that principle. If you want take on this ministry of reconciliation and be reconciled with others, why should I be reconciled with you? There's a corollary, and God's using the same principle for husbands. Husbands, you want to pray for knowledge. You want to pray for love. You want to pray to sanctify. You want all these things, right? Well, you will get those things. I will answer your prayers as soon as you start answering hers. As soon as you start honoring her and treating her like the wife you married. You must honor her as a fellow heir or your prayers won't reach the ceiling. I've seen men that just don't grow, don't grow, don't grow, and they wonder, I, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. I'm just, I'm trying, and I'm, nothing's happening. And I said, what's your relationship with your wife like? And they hang their head. It's terrible. I said, well, that's why you're not growing. I share this principle. I said, you start loving your wife the way Christ loves the church, and watch your spiritual growth take off. Because God starts listening to your prayers. You're somebody He wants on His team. Because the whole thing in Ephesians 5 is about presenting to the world a picture of Christ and His church. And when you start living like Christ loves His church, when you start denying yourself first, taking your honor aside to honor her, God says, I'm going to bless. Let's pray together.
Father, there's so much for us as husbands to do. And so sad, we, we just don't want to enter into the cultural controversies that are all in here. And that's, we don't see the schemes of the evil one to distract us and keep us from being godly husbands. Father, let us repent. Let us repent of our failure to acknowledge that we have really messed up. And we really need help to be a godly husband. It's not about our wives being holy ladies. It's about us being godly husbands. Father, turn us back to that. Help us to live with them. To make that a priority. Help us to, to serve them. To sanctify them. To shower them. To share with them. Lord, help us to honor them. Help us to really know their needs and meet those needs that the world might see Jesus and his love for his church. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.